So as Pastor Tom said, Nathan Rohde, Pastor Nathan Rohde was with us. He spoke at our teen retreat. And we were thinking about a year ago, who can we invite that has the same DNA as us? Because we want, we're two rivers for the river of the word and the river of the spirit. And it's not as difficult sometimes to find those who flow in the river, but it's very tragic to say inside of some of our more powerful ministries, it's hard to find someone who moves in the word and, and understands both of them. And that's what I think is a great strength of this church. So we invited him down, and we had a rocking out time. So much fun to have him. He stole our worship leader. If you don't know that, Nathan was our original worship leader at Two Rivers Church. I watched him do that thing. I was a college and career pastor here, and we had like five or six people. And, and Nathan goes, I can sing. And I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> So he starts singing, and then he says, well, I'll, I'll start playing the guitar. And you know, he was a drummer. So drummers learn rhythm guitar pretty well. And he was pretty good. And I had another kid at that time from here, Chad Autry, and he said, I play trombone, but I'm going to learn the piano. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. He was with a pastor, Ken Bakken, at that time, and he came back in a couple of months and started playing the piano like this. Well, they didn't know he was a genius in math. And you know, music is all math. So he's just doing that thing, and I'm going, wow. To the point where, like, you can say, Chad, Phantom of the Opera. Da -da 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 -da. Batman's new theme. I was like, you're sickening. <laughs> that is crazy. No human should be able to do that. Anyway, greetings from Two Rivers Church. We're having a good time. Last week, we took one of your ideas. We steal many things from you guys. We did that whole baptism thing where you preach on baptism and then you even give people a chance to come up out of the crowd. So we had 20 people baptized last week. 20 people for a church our size. That's a lot of people. I mean, I'll take one. Two is really awesome, but 20 is amazing. Our church is lit on fire because God's doing good stuff. So we owe that to you. We're going to start the story. Who did we steal that from? <laughs> yeah, City Church, right. So we heard you guys were enjoying it so much, we decided we'd enjoy it too. So uh, that's cool. So this morning, I just want to share some things out of what we're experiencing. And I want, I want, I want them to benefit your Christian life. I'm... I'm more interested that you're a strong, mature disciple of Jesus Christ than just getting butts in a chair. You know, that's what a lot of churches are counting, how many people are coming. But how many people have developed into what the Bible calls a real disciple of Jesus Christ? It isn't that easy. When I work here at the University of Wisconsin with the Navigators, their rule of thumb is that it takes seven years. This is not like an automatic thing. You don't get saved and you're a disciple of Jesus. I can prove that to you from the Bible. But the person sometimes that concerns me is the person who's got one foot in the world and one foot in the church. That bothers me. It bothers me a lot. Here's why it bothers me. First of all, it's a bad testimony about Jesus and the church, but it's also 
ruining what you really could have in Jesus because Christianity is made in such a way that you got to be all in. You have to be all in. And some of us probably this morning, if we're telling the truth, we're not all in. I want you to get all in. I want you to have some experiences because obviously you can read. You have a Bible. You sit under one of the greater preachers in the United States, in my opinion. So you know the Bible, but why aren't you all in? Why don't you answer that call? Then there's some of us that are new here, and you know what? You've been all in, but it's been for the other side. You need to get cleaned up. And you know what? What I get kind of concerned about is after you do the Bible memory and after you do the counseling and after you do this, there's still something in some people's life that when it's hit, it reacts. And it won't go away. Well, a lot of times that's spiritual. And you're going to have to take care of it the same way Jesus took care of it. Now, if you take your New Testament out, and you rip every page out that has supernatural on it, either on this side or this side. Just take your Bible out and just go, oh, there's a miracle. Or there's one here. You know how many pages you have left in the New Testament? Zero pages. Now compare that to your life. Where are the miracles? See, a miracle is when God breaks natural law or when God breaks into normal life and he does something that you can't do. See, I love college and school and training. Get all the degrees you can, but you're training your ability. There's a lot of things in the world that your ability is not going to be able to do. You're going to need God. And you know what? It's a scary place to get up to that line where, you know, my, my ability's done right here. What humans can do, this is over. If we take the next step, it's going to have to be God. It's still scary, but here's the deal. If God's real, then that next step will be the most exciting step you ever took. Because he's going to be there for you, and it's going to go, whoa. Whoa. There was a time when True Rivers Church had about $20,000 in the bank and we only needed a down payment of like $300,000 to buy a building. We started a little fund, the throw your stone thing, and then we got into a, a mortgage, which I don't love, but hey, you got to sometimes. But here's the end of our story. We started in with a couple hundred thousand when we bought the building and we put it down as a down payment. Then we had to fix the building, which is about a half a million dollars. And when we put the other foot down, we got $200,000 in the bank still. Still. What we started with, we have left over. God. See, you can't do that. So you want to live those adventures. So we're going to talk about walking in authority. This, this you wear. You wear this as a Christian. If you want to know where authority comes from, well, it comes from several different things. First of all, we understand royalty, kings and queens. You get authority if you get born into the right family. And if you're not in the right family, too bad. 
Well, we're daughters and sons of the King of Glory. We've been born into the right family. Well, we weren't born into it. We got adopted into it. But the deal about adopted is you get the full rights of the natural born, right? So we're, we have authority by adoption, by being children of God. And when we get into that battle and we get to the end of human energy sometimes, we forget, I've got some more stuff because I've got authority from heaven. It's not just my personal authority. Now, another way you get authority is that you are on a mission. You, you've been assigned a mission. Somebody said something needs to get done, and they said, we're going to fully provide what you need for your mission. We're on a mission, folks. It's to depopulate hell and populate heaven. And Jesus said, here's your mission. And then he said, I'm going to supply everything you need on it. But sometimes we run around, we run out the door without everything he's provided. And then we wonder why that, well, that didn't work. Well, yeah, it didn't work because you didn't take what you needed. Because his mission's bigger than what humans can do. He wants to do something bigger than your brains, your brawn, all that stuff. You got to have his authority. So you get it because you, you're in the family. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, you're in the family. You should get baptized. Some people come out of the water a different person. Why? Because they have authority now. You should get baptized in the Holy Spirit because that's one of the things he said you could have. Luke 24 says you will be clothed with power from on high. I think you should grab that thing. Right? I think that would be useful. After you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit and you have your prayer language, you should use it. No, I'm a pastor and I ask questions. Somebody's flopping around like a fish out of water. Plop, 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 plop. It's kind of the normal Christian life for some people. Flop, plop, 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 plop. And you go, Jesus didn't say go therefore and be a fish out of water. So what is this flop, flop, flop stuff? You go, are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? Yes. Do you have a prayer language? Yes. Do you use it? No. Oh, we could have a problem there. Because you have to pray in the Spirit by faith. Because your mind goes, what are you doing? I'm praying in the Spirit. Why? Because I'm building myself up in my most holy faith. Why? Well, because I'm on assignment for goodness sake. Shut up. <laughs> Let me pray in the tongues and so I get strong. And you go, well, I feel like I'm anointed right now. What's going to happen? I don't know. Let's just see what happens as you go through your life. You just never know what's going to come up. So, our women go away on a retreat. It's the end of March, just this year, and I'm in my office because I don't have a wife. So it's Friday night, I'm in my office. She went on the retreat, and I got this little red thing above my phone, which means you got a message. I never get messages anymore because I got a cell phone. But there's a message. I picked it up to hear a woman's voice that I've never heard, and she says, Pastor Tom, I've been giving your name as a reference from a person whose children go to school with my children. Now, there's a story there. This woman is about to get some major miracles in her life 
but she's not going to get them unless someone had loved her before. When she was going through this problem, some Christian woman said, let me hear your story, let me hold you, let me cry with you. And by the way, I have a thought about how this could get fixed. That's walking in your authority too. So I listened to the voice. She goes, uh, I just found out my husband's been in a continuous adulterous affair with a coworker. Uh, he's confessed after pressed. Um, he's broken. He wants to save the marriage, but I don't know if I can live with this guy any longer because the marriage is in trouble because of his personality. Okay. No big deal, right? So I'm like, you don't even go to our church. And I'm like, I got to see this woman. How about 10 o'clock tomorrow? Saturday. And she goes, you can do that? I said, yeah, I can do that. So they come in, but I knew something from the phone call. I, I, I know this sounds weird. I recognized her spirit. I recognized who she was. And it was a beautiful person who doesn't deserve this. So he comes through the door, tall, handsome guy. She comes in the door, tall. And I kind of placed her as a New Yorker and a Puerto Rican. After you listen to people speak English and Spanish, you know. So I asked her who she was, and she was from New York, and she was a Puerto Rican. But she doesn't generally look like a Puerto Rican because she's really tall and skinny. And it's just not the MO that I usually have. And, uh, but when she came through the door, it was like, whew, this, this woman loves God. This, this woman is here because she has faith in God. And I, I'm looking at him, and this guy's got nothing. He is empty, and he is broken. He is like a dog with his tail between his legs. He is broken. So we sit down, and we start talking. This is a two-hour conversation. We're going to, you know, five-minute testimony. What do you do? But I picked up a couple of things. One was... Anger, his anger, had been escalating exponentially. So she couldn't talk to him. Every time she tried to mention something about the marriage, he flew into a rage. Going to a church, going to a Bible-believing church, born again, he's got an uncontrollable rage. Sir, tell me about your background. Well, I grew up in California in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada. And a little town, and there wasn't much to do, did a lot of drugs. Huh. I get one, one word, meth. Did you do meth? He said, yes, sir. I did a lot of meth. Meth and demons are hand in hand. I've never met anybody who did meth who doesn't have demons. Hmm, this is interesting. This is a Christian. And you remember the whole teaching about Christians don't have demons? <laughs> 
It's a nice teaching. It doesn't work. Here's how I explain that. When you're born again, your spirit gets born again, and there are no demons in your spirit. But they are in your soul and on your body. So when they come out, it looks like they're coming out of you. But it isn't your spirit, so that's why a Christian can't have this stuff. It hangs on from the old life. So I'm like, I drew this on a board, and it's a non-charismatic church they go to, and I'm going, have you guys ever heard of, like, charismatic churches? And they're like, no. And she says, well, my mom was, you know, one of those crazy Puerto Rican Pentecostals. (laughs) And I'm going, yeah, I know that kind. I like that kind. They're only crazy if you don't do what they do. So that's what I realized. That's what I was sensing on the phone. A spirit-filled Christian, although she was very, very untrained. So I said, well, you know, I know this is supposed to be marriage counseling. I know I'm supposed to give you wisdom and everything, but I really feel sort of like you got to, his, his name is Mike. Mike, I feel like, I feel like it's demonic. And I, I don't really want to go any further unless we try that first. So he goes, okay. He goes, I don't know what that means, but okay. So I started to pray for him and praying in the spirit. I got a word of knowledge, spirit of suicide. Okay, let's just go right at this. In the name of Jesus, this spirit of suicide comes out. Boom, it comes out. A few more come out. Praying in the spirit, I don't think we're done. You say, how do you know? I can't tell you other than I knew. See, that's, that's some of the spiritual stuff that happens that you don't really, you can't learn that exactly in a classroom. You've got to practice a little bit. I get one more word of knowledge. Spirit of murder. And you know how your mind goes really fast? You're like, this is milliseconds. I'm thinking, great. I got a couple of non-charismatic people here, and I'm going to cast a spirit of murder out of her husband. How's that going to make her feel? I mean, this just kind of goes kind of quick like that. I just said, well, got to go for this. This is where the step of faith comes, right? You got to take a step of faith. In the name of Jesus, I command a spirit of murder to come out of this guy. Boom, full blessed, full-blown manifestation. I pray for a little bit, and this demon of murder comes out. So I sit down, and they told me a lot of different things about their marriage. But she says, now, it's very interesting. We didn't tell you that monthly he has at least one severe attack of wanting to commit suicide. All right, we got that. Then she says this. He comes to me two days before we came here. So this is Thursday. He's got a box of first-person shooter games. You know all those things that are harmless? Call of Duty, Halo, they're just all harmless, right? And uh, he says to her, I'm going to throw these games out because when I play them, I feel like killing somebody. Hello. So he had thrown those games out. So she was like, you specifically cast out two demons of two problems which we did not tell you about. Now, I'm not an evangelist. I don't blow in, blow up, and blow out. So we got an appointment for two weeks. We're sitting out in the patio of our church. We got some misters. You don't even know what those are, but you know, they, they missed when it's 117. Makes it about 85 feel. It's good. And uh, 
And they sit down across from me on the picnic bench, and he's sitting right here like this. And he's looking great. He's got a shiny face, everything. But here's the thing. She's over here on this side, and she's got her hands on his rather ample bicep, but like a woman who's in love. And she says, and she's talking about intimacy, but not just sexual intimacy. She says, we have not had this intimacy that we have had for the last two weeks since we met you in our whole entire 18-year marriage. So that's kind of cool. Then he says to me, he looks like kind of a, the deer in the headlight thing. <laughs> and he's like, I never want to go back to what I was. And I says, well, I know you go to a different church, but I gave him the Holy Spirit in you, which is what we use as a textbook for teaching the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I said, dude, you got to read this. If you read this and you want this, I'll pray for you. But if not, I won't pray for you. But you need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. So two weeks later, he comes back, and his wife has had a princess dinner with our women and his two girls, and he's got time on his hands, so I made the appointment for them. And when I laid hands on him and prayed for him to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, he began to speak in tongues like a machine gun. It was a powerful experience. And they're like, I don't think we pray with people enough when they get first baptized in the Holy Spirit. So I'm like, this guy needs this, so we're going to do this for like 30 minutes. So we just prayed in the Spirit for 30 minutes. And then I stopped him and I said, Mike, how's that? And he goes, wow. Oh, dude, that's powerful. And I said, okay, your, your wife's not going to get done for another 35 minutes. I got things to do. So you stay here and pray in tongues until she's done. That's your prescription. And so he does that, and he texts me the next week. Never lived my Christian life like this before. I can show you the text. Why does all that stuff happen? Because of the authority that we have in Jesus Christ. So... Just in my life, I've realized, and it's grown over this last year for a reason, which I'm going to explain, in prayer for specific things. Sometimes now when I'm praying, I know when I pray, it's done. How? I can't tell you exactly, but it gets dropped on me and it's over. Words of knowledge when counseling. You know... Dr. Brian White's going to be here, and he has annoyed me for most of my Christian life. <laughs> for things like when this church didn't have enough Sunday school rooms, we were up on Woodlawn at the, trying to think, Schwegler's used to have a house up there. So we had the college and crew group in there, and he would teach, and he would say things like, God told me. And every person that I'd met from my previous five years who said God knows me was granola. Nutty, fruity, or flaky. <laughs> when this guy said God told him something, it was like, I think God told him something. <laughs> and you guys know this with City Church and Lake City coming together. He was part of that. I lived under the impression that God didn't speak to me like he spoke to Brian. And I'm realizing how, how not true that was, but it's increasing. I'll be counseling, and I get something. 
Here's how you know when it's not you. It's too good for you. You're not that smart. You're just like, well, I think I'll say this. You say it and they're like, boom. And you go, wow, that was good. That wasn't me. <laughs> when I share the gospel, this thing comes on me now. It comes on. Almost everyone I've shared the bridge illustration with is coming to my church now. Full-blood Navajo. You got to be in a deal with a full-blood practicing Navajo. Sharing the gospel and feeling the demons on the other side. They say Indian religion's like, no, it's not. Go to reservation. Live there for a while. It's not, it's not, it's not our God. It's a different God. They're fighting me when I'm trying to share the gospel. He gets saved, healed, and delivered. Just got baptized last week. I'm not saying it's been pretty. It's been six months of working hard with the guy. But he just had a throne room experience where they were doing a sozo on him, and he, he couldn't look up. If you, talk, if you look at Native Americans, most of the time they won't look you in the eye. They don't feel worthy, and it's part of their culture too. Jesus called him in this experience to sit on his lap, and he said, I can't. And he said, no, you come up here and sit on my lap. And he gave him the strength to do it. And this Navajo comes up and sits on Jesus' lap in this experience. And everything that had held in bondage for 24 years was broken off. It's authority, man. Healing, praying for demons, it's all there. So just a little bit here on a word. Exousia is the word in the Bible for authority. And here it says permission. Can we go to that slide? It's like slide number three. Permission, authority, right, liberty, power to do something. As exousti denies the presence of a hindrance. It's a, it's a word that exousti is related to. It denies the presence of a hindrance. Think about that. The hindrance could be right there. But when the power of God's on you, it's like, that's out there. <laughs> I like that kind of authority. What do you think? Looks like there's a hindrance, but God just said there wasn't. Why? Because he's better than all that stuff. It may be used either as the capability or the right to do a certain action. The words existi and exousia combine the two ideas of right. You got the right to do it, and you got the might to do it. And when you're going out to do stuff in life today, you need to know you got the right to do it, and you got the might to do it. I am a child of God. I've got the right to share the gospel with people and see them come to Christ. But if something tries to hinder the message, I've got the might, not mine, his, to get that out of the way so that they can hear. When I was talking to this Navajo, it's in this experience, the right to preach the gospel and the might to do so. And that makes it fun. Fun, I said. You want to have some fun? Bill Johnson calls it Christian entertainment. <laughs> Getting people saved, healed, and delivered. That's Christian entertainment. When you do it, they can't make a movie good enough to replace what that is. Look, I watch a movie every now and then. But when a wife, 
who was ready to divorce her husband for betraying her repeatedly with a woman that he kind of rubbed in her nose. When she can say she's never had as much intimacy with him as in the last two weeks, that's Christian entertainment. That's like, oh. As far as right authority and capability is concerned, it involves ability, power, and strength. As in the word dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. So let me show you how this word works. You know, I like words. Words are either thick or they're thin. They're very pointed and specific in their definition, or they've got a real thickness and flavor to them. This word authority is one of them. So in John 1.12, in the New American Standard updated, it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. I want to go to that slide. Become, I get the right to become children of God. Should be the next slide. Then, if you look at the Lexham Study Bible, which is more of an electronic Bible, it says, but as many as received him to those who believe in his name, he gave them authority to become children of God. So you see that? And then John 1.12 in the Word Study King James, but as many as received him to them, he... The, oh, you got to be King James here. To them gave he power to become sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. These are Bible scholars who know. I mean, when we do word studies, you better be careful with that thing. And people always think they can translate better than translators. You can't. You got to meet these guys. They know way more than you. Words have different applications, but in this case, it is very true that you're making a judgment call on how you want to translate this word because this word in Greek gives all three of these meanings. Right, authority, and power to become a child of God. So how do you start walking in authority? You get it when you get born again. But look at, look at how the same Bible verse in three translations is giving that nuance. It's, it's not that one's wrong or one's right. Sometimes it's just difficult. Take the word fun in English. I guarantee you that when I spoke Spanish, it was hard to tell people, translate fun, because they say divertirse, but it's more than divertirse. There's, there's something inside of your heart as a native English speaker when you say the word fun. For example, how about this one? Well, that was fun. Does that mean it was fun? No. Well, it means it wasn't fun. Think about it. Well, that was fun. <laughs> I mean, there's so many different flavors here to this word. But here you need to remember, whenever the word exousia is placed in the Bible, it's giving you the right, the authority, and the power to move for God. Not for you. Here's another thing. I do very little for Tom Alexander. I don't even pray for myself. I spend most of my time worshiping God and praying for things that I know are God's. I read a few books. That's my decisions I make. Right, I'm going to read this book for fun. So you know what? I get up and go to bed thinking about the kingdom of God. And it isn't that I did that because I'm a pastor. I did that when I went to college here. Because I signed up for God's plan. 
Now, I just threw this in. We uh, go to the abusive or manipulative authority. Most of the New Testament words, next slide, please, is, is the word exousia, but there is a word in Matthew 20, 25, and it says, when Jesus called them to himself and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. This is where the church of Jesus Christ gets in trouble here in America, when pastors aren't walking in exousia, they're actually walking in a different word. It's kata exousia. And down at the bottom of it, look at, look at this definition, kata exousia, to exercise authority against or over someone. When you move in that authority, you're wrong. The shepherding movement in the United States in the 70s and 80s got into kata exousia. When you get into Latin America, because all they understand is dictators, pastors become dictators. But we got them here in River City, too. You'll see it in Africa. You'll see it in Asia. Instead of working in exousia, they work in kata exousia, and they are demanding, controlling, and manipulating their people with authority that they don't have. That's where people get hurt. So don't think the word authority is bad. Kata exousia is bad. How do you know Katexousia is functioning? When free will is taken away. When Jesus called us, he said, if you want to follow me, let him. Jesus could say, every one of you people are going to follow me or I'm going to get you. Well, first of all, does that sound like love? Actually, the word witchcraft is manipulation and control. When you work in kata you are manipulating and controlling people, and you have violated the kingdom of God. Because people have to do it because they want to, not because they have to. Think about it. People go, well, you know, if you become a Christian, there's a lot of Christians that are messy. Yeah, because Jesus is giving them an opportunity to grow up. Yeah, but if I dominate them a little bit, I can get them to grow up faster. No, you won't. You'll make them a twisted little Pharisee is what you'll do. So do we have authority? Matthew 10, 1, Jesus summoned the 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. That sounds kind of good to me. I like that. But let's be honest. He gave it to the... 12 disciples. So do I have it? You can't make the case from this. You could, you, could, you could say, not sure, and you probably should. But then you look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. How much authority? Okay. What do you need? Is it in the all? Think about what you need. You got some problems? You probably need all authority. Now, if you start to share the gospel and get people saved, administer the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and get them cleaned up, you will also need all authority. Because life is messy and people have problems. Or maybe not in Madison. <laughs> Notice that I connected verse 18 to verse 19, so it's all authority has been given to you on heaven and earth. Go therefore. So we have the transmission of authority to this group of people in the first century, how does it extend to us? 
and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, here's something surprising to me. Christians today do not use that verse as their marching orders. I was raised in a group where you memorized that verse and that's what you did from then on. It wasn't, I go to church once a week. I throw my tithe check in. Dude, that's just part of it. We're supposed to be going and making disciples of some nations. The ones that are easy. Is that what it says? Go therefore make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. If you haven't been baptized yet, there's a reason right there. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Now the thing about authority, it grows as you think about this, and I underline this because that's why we still have authority. The end of the age has not come. He said he's with us, and that we have all authority until the end of the age. It hasn't ended yet, folks. So we still got it. So I think about when I have a problem, I have the authority of Jesus. Now, if I'm just doing it, here's, here's why it's important. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. My heart wants what God has. Here's what I learned. Whatever plan I had for my life is not even nearly as good as the plan he had. And whatever this world has to offer, you know, look on his wondrous face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim. You know, what can you buy that is as good as Jesus. The presence of God, and lo, I am with you always. You could be in a jail cell somewhere with the presence of Jesus, and you have all you need. Let's, let's, let's do the whole thing here. Here's why the prosperity gospel is wrong. Jesus died without any money, without a wife, and without a house. Just saying. I think he was successful. <laughs> 11 out of 12 disciples died without anything except what? The presence of Jesus, the whole clothed with power, and, and the knowledge that they'd been a good and faithful servant. You know, we put this stuff in here and it gets in the way. There isn't anything, I, I'm telling you, there isn't anything on earth like knowing God's with you. So we got to go quickly. So here's, here's why I want you to get this. Lord, the 70 returned with joy. The 70 returned with what? Joy. They won the lottery. No, no, that's not what it says. The 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. All right. Demons are messy. The devil is mean. He's nasty. You get inside of some of this stuff. I never look for this stuff. I never look for it. It comes with the territory of making disciples. It comes with the territory of preaching the gospel. I don't go looking for it. But there is an experience when you know you have cast out a demon in Jesus' name and they go. Nothing, nothing changes a person more than seeing that happen. All of a sudden, you stop playing games as a Christian. You stop just being, I'm an attender. 
I'm a faithful attender. Well, God bless you. That's how it starts. How, how about a faithful participator? How about being on active duty for goodness sakes? Who wants to be on active duty for a gospel that doesn't work and doesn't help? But then when you see the demons go and you see people get healed, you go, I'm in. I am so into this. They couldn't get fixed and Jesus just fixed them. I have seen 11 out of 12 marriages where when, 9 out of 10 marriages, divorces are filed by women nowadays, but I've had 12 marriages in my office in the last probably nine months where some of them, the women had the divorce papers drawn up. All they had to do was sign. Because you know what? The world says you can't fix a bad man. Oh, your husband's abusive. You need to get rid of him. Well, how about we just kick him in the butt and get him saved? How about we just slap him up in Jesus until he gets kind and nice? And, you know, I know that sounds like a dichotomy, but I'm just kind of it. So I get this one. This guy comes in. We've been praying for him for 10 years because he's the son of someone who started coming to our church. And the wife is over here, and she is so angry. And she has divorce papers in her purse. And all of a sudden, man, I feel like this is the heart of God. He wants to save this marriage. And I'd worked with the husband three days before. He comes in. I, I ask him, suppose you were to die tonight and you were to stand before God and he would ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Here's what he says to me. I'm a nice guy. <laughs> I'm like, dude, your wife left a paper saying her and the kids fled the house because they're scared of you. And you just tell me you're going to heaven because you're nice? It's like crazy. He goes, well, I'm nice most of the time. I'm like, well, when you call your wife an F and B, she doesn't think you're nice. Oh. But this authority comes on. They come to our Saturday night service and it's like they're teenagers just starting dating for the first time. It's like there's so much PDA, it's like, please. <laughs> this is church. But you see her look in his eyes and she's so in love and you think about, I saw her eyes when they would burn holes in that guy's chest. Come on. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. I agree with the verse. You should be the most happy about the fact that God saved you, that you're going to heaven. Get that down, folks. If you don't have that down, talk to a pastor. You should be rejoicing that your name is written in the book of life. If you're not sure your name's not in the book of life, you need to get it straight today. Amen. Enough said on that. But even though that's true, verse 20, there's some truth in verse 17. And the disciples returned with joy. It wasn't fake joy. I think it's a knowledge that there's a spiritual dimension. I think there's a knowledge that Jesus has authority. I think there's a knowledge that the Bible is true. And not every Christian is living that way. 
We're kind of going through our Bibles kind of buffet style. Oh, I obey this, but not that, this, but not that. That can't be true. And we live in Madison, Wisconsin. We all know what we hear here. So here's the problem. One of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son possessed with the spirit which makes him mute. And, whatever, and whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and he grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. Now, in what is Don Shossi's office over here in, the, in the, 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 the reception? That used to be one office at this church. My office was up here in this thing, whatever that is now. It used to be a library. And I got a phone call from a pastor in that office who was a young pastor like me, and there were two other young pastors, me and another guy. And he goes, I got a demon-possessed woman in my office, and I don't know what to do. Come and help me. <laughs> so we come running down there. Now, here's some things you can't. This was a, this was a blonde lady on a chair, and she was facing him, and his desk was over by the window. When we opened the door, she felt our presence. She went, oh, and she went around the floor barking and swearing like women shouldn't do. And we cast every demon out of her except a guy named Tobias, and he said he wouldn't go, and he didn't. Very much like this story. I went back up there, and I said, Lord, why didn't that go? And I felt him say to me, you're not ready. And I said to myself, we're going to fix this. Lord, help me fix this. I don't ever want to be in a situation where darkness wins. That woman, to my knowledge, never got her life fixed. It was a spirit of adultery, and I don't know what happened to her. And here's why. We weren't ready. We weren't ready. Verse 29, and he said to them, this kind does not come up by anything but prayer. The Matthew adds, and fasting, it's a margin note today because we're not sure about when it came into the text. But what are some possible thoughts about this passage? I propose that we have authority, we have all authority when we come to Christ and dedicate our lives to him as Lord and Savior. But I propose to you that even though theoretically and positionally we have it, you have to grow into it. Now, when I shared that thought in my congregation a couple Sundays ago, a mother with a severely autistic child went bonkers. Because the devil came to her and said, the reason why your daughter isn't healed is because you are not mature in Christ. I'm not saying that, folks. Don't ever take anything that way. I'm not, and then I'm trying to make it works either, but there are so many spiritual things that are like this. You have it, but you have to grow into it. You spiritually own it, but you have to learn how to handle your possession. It has to become more real to you than it is right now in order for you to wield that thing. I could give you all kinds of weapons and instruments that if you don't practice, take a golf club. If I were to take a golf club out to a course, within a few shots, I'd be using it to decorate a tree. I would wrap it around the tree <laughs> like a necklace. Because I play army golf, right, left, right, left. So because of our devotional life, our pursuit of holiness, our pursuit of the kingdom, we expand into our authority, and it takes practice. Are you with me on this? Amen. This is where you got to use it or lose it. 
I have a worship leader. He's Mexican. He's one of the most fantastic guitar players maybe on earth. He's good. Secularly speaking, sought after to play engagements, to do recordings. He's good. But he said something the other day. He said, you know, all the different pieces that I have, I have to regularly practice them or I lose my touch. Are you with me? Well, we got to use our Christianity too. Where's the remote? Let's watch some TV. Well, what about getting out there and mixing it up with people? So, John 7, 16 and 17, Jesus answered and said to them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone is willing to do his will, he will know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. Obey the word in order to know it well, to walk in authority in it. So there's a word that says you can cast out a demon in Jesus' name. You can know it in your head, but it's not going to work maybe the first time you do it. You pray into that, you meditate into that, you practice into that, and then maybe in the beginning, if you go out, you know, and it's just like to encourage you. You find some more, and you go, oh, i got to get deeper in Jesus. It's not that you're earning something, it's just, it's just the way it is. I don't, does this make sense? See, here's something about the intimacy with God, people. I'll tell you who's getting authority. Those who are intimate with God. Daniel says this, those who know their God will be strong and do exploits. You think that worship thing is just for some people? It's for anybody who wants to go deep. And if you want to have authority, you better be a worshiper of God. And you better know the Bible, because you can't have authority without those two things. So come to the conference. We need God's word to teach us, correct us. And you know what? Every now and then we need a reminder. I don't remember everything God's taught me. Now here for me, regular meditation on the word will increase authority. Because this is a discipline, Christians are really bad at it. But I have three young pastors that I'm training right now to have as much fun in ministry as I am, and they're having that much fun. Because I've taught them a bridge illustration. My son-in-law, Jim Weber, who will be here Thursday night leading worship, you should at least come there, because Stacy and Jim are going to be here. He calls me up shared the gospel with this 15-year-old, and he got saved. I shared lordship with this guy, and he decided to change. And when you hear his voice, you go, yes, that's what it is. That's, I want him to have success like that, and he's having it. But he meditates on the word, and then he learns skills, and then he's got to use it. I don't have to tell him the bridge works. He sees it. And what is he getting every time he shares more experience? He's getting more authority in sharing the gospel. He's more effective. So then you've got to obey the word, and then you've got to have experiences and hear testimonies, and all this stuff motivates you. I hope I've motivated you. Look, I've told you this much of what's been happening in the last six months at Two Rivers. I got enough demon stories, just demon stories, to go for a while. I got enough marriage testimonies to go for a while. I've got enough discipleship stories to go for a while. It's all about Jesus. It's about Jesus changing a life. So stand with me. Because we want him to change your life and walk in authority. I heard Pastor Tom was preaching about we're all supposed to be part of sharing the gospel. Stand with me. Stand with me. We're going to conclude. You want to be in the game. 
Guys, you want to be in it. Christianity works when you're all the way in. If you're scared, find somebody to help you get over that. If you're doubting, find someone to get you over that because you don't want to just come here and watch. Now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you've been walking in darkness and you know it, you know you've been walking in darkness, you know you've been playing around with witchcraft and different things, you, you have fears that are too big for them to be just human, you've, you're feeling things or hearing things, you're deep into pornography or other kinds of things that lead you down dark paths, drug addictions, if that's you and you want to get out of darkness and you want to walk in light, you need to make a decision for Jesus. You need to make a decision. You need to invite him to come in and deliver you, save you, and keep you in his holy name. So if that's you with, with our eyes bowed, our eyes closed and heads bowed, raise your hand if you've been in darkness. There's some hands going up. If you've been in darkness, friends, you know you've been in darkness. You need to raise your hand. We're going to pray for you. Even if you're a Christian, okay. We've got hands going up. If you have been in darkness, just put your hand over your heart. We're going to pray for you. Lord Jesus, we pray that every person that's raised their hand would be delivered from darkness in your holy name. Jesus, come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. I declare you as my Lord, and I will serve you all the days of my life. Or Lord, I'm recommitting my life to you because I've been on dark paths and doing dark things, and I want deliverance from that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, when we call the prayer teams, you need to come down and talk to one of them because we need to know who you are. And you know how you break darkness? You bring it to the light. Once you bring it to the light, it doesn't have power. And then just one more prayer for those of you who listening today have realized you've been much more of a spectator than participating fully in the Christian life. And you want prayer for that because you want to move from spectator to participant. Just raise your hands with me. You're supposed to get all in the game, folks. If you've been doubting the Bible's true, doubting that Jesus is true, giving Jesus half your time, half your heart, you can't have a divided heart. You need to give it all to him. Raise your hand. Who's that? I'm going to pray for you right now. Lord, we pray for every person here that wants to get back in the game or wants to get in the game for the very first time. We pray that you'd open doors personally for them, in their Bible studies, in the ministries here at the church, through the pastoral staff and leaders. Lord, we're praying that each person that raised their hand would go to another Christian and say, it is my goal to be an active participant in the kingdom of God. Will you help me do this? Two are better than one, for they have good return for their labor. We're praying that every person here finds the fellowship, the buddies, the band of brothers and sisters to help them stay out of darkness and stay on target for Jesus Christ. This we pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you want prayer, come on down. We're going to pray for you. 
It's your time to act in faith. Come on down and receive prayer if you need it. There's nothing at home better than getting right with God.